turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, I'd just like to start off with a, just a quick informal survey here. I, I just need a little bit of information. I'd like to know how you personally came to know Christ as your Savior and your Lord. By What was the means by which God did that? So I'm gonna, let me just tell you the five different little options I'm going to give you, and then we'll just kind of see. This will be very interesting. So one would be like radio, TV, website. That would be one of the ways. Um, another vehicle would be like a crusade, like Billy Graham, uh, Harvest Crusade, Luis Palau Festival. Uh, a third option would be a church service. Fourth would be like some sort of Christian concert, some sort of big event, some sort of meeting. And then the five, number five would be a relationship that you had with a family member or a friend. Okay, those are the five options. So how many of you came to Christ through um, like radio TV website? I know we have at least we have one guy I know for sure. Okay, and I see him back there. Okay, uh, how many of you came to Christ um, through like a crusade? Billy Graham, Luis Palau. Uh, Harvest Crusade, we have, we have one. Okay, good. It's a couple there. Okay. And how many of you then came to Christ through a church service? Okay. Okay, more hands coming up here on a church service. Okay, good. And then how many like came to Christ through a big event, Christian concert, some sort of big meeting? How many? You got a few folks. Okay, great. And then how many of you came to Christ through a personal relationship with a family member or friend? They were very interested. Okay, wow. <laughs> okay, you see that? Almost everybody came to Christ, knowing him as Savior from sin and Lord of their life, through a personal relationship with either a friend or a family member. I want you to think about that, because you're here today because some individual spoke into your life. And really, it shouldn't surprise us, because people are God's primary means of revealing the gospel of Christ. That is the primary means by which God brings the gospel to people. He does it through other people who have come to believe in his son. Now, if I was to force to select just one verse in the Bible that would just simply picture how in the world this happens, how do you bring the gospel to another individual, I would pick 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. In fact, that's where we're going to be looking at today. It seems to capture in one verse, how does God bring the gospel to others through people? Now, let me just give you a little context here. We'll pick it up in verse 2 in chapter 1, just so you can kind of see the flow of what's taking place here. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing mind your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. So what he's writing here is saying, hey, we are constantly bearing in mind what God did in you. And he actually highlights like their work of faith. You see, their faith was producing works. And he says their love, why there was a labor to it. And then finally, he said there was a hope that led to steadfastness. They persevered. You see, this is these faith, hope, love, it's kind of like the wind. Can you, can you see the wind? No, you can't see the wind. But can you see the effects of the wind? Yeah, it's blowing like tree limbs around and leaves around. And so it is with faith and hope and love. You see the outworkings of these. And that's what Paul is writing, saying, 
I rejoice and I give thanks to God always for you because I see God at work in your midst. And that's how he works. He brings about faith, hope, and love. And then he says, verse 4, I'm giving thanks not only for how I see God working in your life, but look what he says in verse 4. Knowing this, knowing, brethren, beloved or dearly loved by God, his choice of you. I give thanks to God not only for how I see faith, hope, and love being put into play in your life, but for the reality that God has chosen you and brought salvation to you. And this is a a concept that you and I would never actually write up. Humans, if humans wrote the Bible, we would never write it this way. However, God is vitally involved, critically involved, in bringing salvation to his people, so much so that Paul says it's really an indicator of his choice, his selecting by his sovereign grace, you, to participate in his kingdom and to know Christ as Lord of your life. In fact, Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, even before the foundation of the world, we know this, that God has chosen you to be in him. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Let's make no, have no mistake about it. God is the one who brings about salvation through his people. In fact, he highlights it again in verse 4. It looks very much like faith, hope, and love being put into play in a person's life. But that is how God brings it about. But he uses people in that process. And so that's what, that's what we're going to be talking about today. God is bringing salvation to people he's drawing into his kingdom. But he uses people, just like we saw from our little informal survey, to do that. And what he's bringing is the gospel. The gospel is simply this. The word gospel means good news. It is the good news of all that God has done, is doing, and will do through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. The gospel is not good instructions. It's not a code of ethics. It's not good advice. The gospel is the means by which God announces the world that he has accomplished salvation and relationship with himself through those who will believe in his son. And so the word evangelism, uh, it comes from the Greek word euangelizo, which has the idea that you share the good news, or you proclaim the good news, that's evangelism. And that's what he says. Evangelism is simply this. It is people who believe, who are sharing the good news about salvation from sin and authentic relationship with God, for those who believe in Jesus Christ and trust him alone. And so that's what evangelism is. It is the sharing of the good news regarding Christ. The gospel isn't this. And oftentimes people think like, I just, I'll believe certain facts about Jesus, like you accept it as a ticket that gets you into the county fair. And yeah, yeah, I got my ticket. I believe those certain truths and I've got this little ticket. Actually, it is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the living Lord. Now, If uh, God is the one who's producing salvation, one of the questions you've got to be asking is this. Well, then why in the world do we need to share the gospel with anybody if God is the one doing it? It's It's related to the same question like, why in the world do we even need to pray, right? If God's got it all figured out and he's going to do it, why pray? And the answer to those questions is this. It's through sharing our faith and praying that God actually incorporates us in the work that he is doing. This is how he has designed it. By sovereign design, 
He involves his people in the work that he's doing. And that is why we share our faith. That's why we pray. So how in the world do we go about this? How do we share the gospel with people? Well, that's what we like to talk about. And verse 5 nails it. Let me just show you a practical pattern of sharing the gospel of Christ. You can find it right there in verse 5. Notice, first of all, what he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. Our gospel, sharing the good news about Christ, didn't come in just word only. But let it be known for certain, it came with words. They expressed their faith. Words are the vehicle of communicating about who Christ is, what he's accomplished, and how you can have a relationship with him. And so he is saying, we engaged you with words. It didn't come in word only, but it most certainly came in words. Now, what are some critical issues that must be explained and understood if people are truly to know Christ? Well, let me give you three. You, you can't sidestep these. and like, well, I, I think I'll omit one or two of these. All three of these have to be known and understood if someone has truly come, comes to know Christ. The first issue is sin. Okay, A person has to know what sin is. And sin literally means to miss the mark. It's falling short of God's standard of holiness, and it's failing to know God for who he is and how he's revealed himself. And that's what sin is. And for, So there's a, one of the Greek words uh, for sin to mean to miss the perfect mark is where it came from ancient archery, okay? And in archery, you know what the object is, right? The object is if you're shooting at a target to hit the bullseye or if you're shooting at game, Okay, an animal, you want to hit and make the, the right, perfect shot. If you should miss it, whether by an inch or a mile, it was called sin. It literally means to miss the perfect mark. You and I, we were created by God, for God. In fact, you were literally created in God's image. You have the capacity to know him. He has designed humanity to experience relationship with himself. And any deviation, any alternate God, any idol, any deviation, any sin, any mark of unholiness, any missing it is to literally sin. It's to to miss the perfect mark. Now, some people are completely indifferent to God. It's sin. Some people are just passively indifferent. And some are actively, they're angry. They're just mad at God. They're calling themselves atheists. They, they hate God and they'd like to use his name uh, as slang or an emphasis in certain sentences. But it doesn't matter whether you miss by an inch or a mile. We're created to know God. And look at, look at humanity. There is this God-shaped vacuum in every single heart, like Pascal spoke about. And we're trying to fill it. We want life. We want meaning purpose, peace, joy, those cannot be found apart from God. It is only in trusting and knowing Christ. And any sort of attempt that you try to fill your life, whether it be illegal, socially acceptable, socially unacceptable, what by whatever means, whether you're just simply following after the lust of your flesh, you're abiding in some sort of world religion, it doesn't matter If you try to fill the void that God created in your life for him with anything but him, it's sin. And sin has results in our life. It literally brings about our spiritual death. In fact, it's a condition we inherited from Adam. So like Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what? All of us 
Every single one of us. And sin has a consequence. Romans 6.23, the first part of that says, for the wages of sin is death. Our simply, our lack of ability, our separation from God, a lack of ability to know him, is an indicator that we're sinners. And sin is evident everywhere. You know where sin is most evident? In our hearts. We try to clean ourselves up on the outside. And we have like some behavior that we try to exhibit. But look what's going on in your heart. Look at the sort of things that you think about and the things that come, through, come uh, to your mind and you dwell upon. You, you try to conceal that. But let me assure you, God knows. I was reading about this guy named Stephen Kingsley. And he's got this uh, carpet cleaning business in Idaho. And this guy's got it figured out. What he does is he sets up the appointments of these uh, prospective clients. And one of the things he specializes is removing pet odors, okay? And so, you know, people are generally kind of skeptical, like, eh, you know, I don't really know. But sure, I'll have the guy clean one of my rooms, right? Or, or he'll show me how good his product is. And then I'll just send him on his way. So what he does is he goes in, he meets the people. And he says, well, let's, let's see if you have a problem here. They try to make the room as dark as possible. And then he has this black light. Now, it's a pretty powerful one. And they turn it on. And sure enough, sure enough, you're like every little dribble and drop from one of their pets and stuff like it's all over the carpet and it's on and it's like those crystals are kind of like glowing and it's not only on the carpet, but it's on their furniture and it's not on their furniture. It's on their walls. and It's not on their walls. It's even on their lampshades in some cases. And these people just like, ah, they're like, whoa, whatever it takes. I want this done. You know, one lady's like, absolutely. Just turn that thing off. Whatever it takes. I want you to clean my carpet. Because, you see, the black light revealed the con- true condition. Now, you didn't see it, you know, when that light wasn't on. just kind of like, eh, smells a little funny in here, but I guess it's just having pets, right? Well, let me assure you, there's a reason why your rooms smell kind of funny. And that black light showed what was invisible to the human eye apart from that. That's, a, that's exactly what God does with his word. You know, that'd be pretty cruel if he actually went into their houses and, like, Man, you've got a serious issue, lady. And then you're just like, I'm out of here. You know, no. They, you, what you want to do is what? You want to help them. You want to resolve their issues. And so it is. That's what God does. He, he does it with his word. He shows the holy standard of love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another deeply, to serve, to care. He gives us his law. He gives us his commandments. He shows us in his word what righteousness really looks like. He shows it in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and he shows it in his word. And it brings about conviction because the word is like a lamp and it shows in our life that, you know what? We're sinful and ugly and unholy. But God doesn't leave us in that condition. He points us to Jesus Christ who can make us clean and wash us and make us white as snow and to fill us with the, the presence of his life, to literally change us, to make us a new creation because we're united with Christ. That is the gospel. And so if you're going to share the gospel with someone, you've got to talk about sin. You can't go, sin's not a really popular concept these days. No one really wants to talk about that. Let's just emphasize Jesus being a friend. But let's not talk about sin. And let me tell you, the trend in modern-day Christianity is to never talk about sin. There are some churches that make it a point not to talk about sin. But if you don't understand that you're a sinner, you will never understand the second essential element to true saving faith, and that is Savior. You see, if you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior, do you? If you're not drowning, 
You don't need a life preserver or any lifeguard to go in and rescue you, do you? No, you're fine. On the other hand, if you see your true condition, the little black light comes in and you see the wickedness of your own heart and how you really could care less about God and how you're on your own little self-designed system for life, well, then you see the need for a Savior. And that's what we have to emphasize. Jesus Christ is God's one and only payment for sin and means of knowing God. Like Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or John 14, 6, Jesus said, listen, yeah, I know there's a lot of folks that say there's all sorts of different paths and ways to heaven, and that is PC, isn't it? But it just hasn't happened to be true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you want to know God? Seriously, or just kind of playing some games? If you want to know him, Jesus says, I am him, and you know him by knowing me. Well, you have to understand sin, Savior, and then the third, you have to understand salvation. It's not enough to just know these things like intellectually or to have some sort of emotional experience, you know, where you get kind of whipped up into a frenzy and like, oh, I just, I just sense God's presence and I think I'll just kind of run for it or do something or raise my hand or run up to the front of the church or whatever. You have to actually believe to put your faith in Christ alone, trusting him completely, committing your life to God and trusting that Christ alone is your payment for sin and the only way to know true relationship with God, that he is the Lord of your life. It is a relationship with Christ. And so just like you see in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. This is available to your entire family, but each one of you must believe. You must believe intellectually to understand these truths. You have to have, there's some motion, there's a sorrow for sin, and there's a joy in God's grace and his mercy, and there is a volitional aspect to faith, and that is you're really submitting your will to God's. You're not adding God to your program. You're not becoming self-actualized. I will be the perfect person because I'll have this relationship with God on my terms. Never works that way. He's God, and he will be treated as such. And the Christian willingly submits to him. Like it says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. There's no good behavior that you can do. You simply trust in Christ and you receive this gift by grace. It is not on your merits because salvation is of the Lord. So what we must do is we've got to be engaging in conversations about Christ. That's what we must do. We've got to talk with our words, just like Paul said, when our gospel came to you, it came to you with words. Now, that means that you've got to actually interact with people. What? I've got to talk to someone? Yeah, you're, you're going to have to interact with them. And when you find that you start building a relationship with someone, you start talking with them, you're going to find out that everybody has these giant felt needs. They have issues in their life. It could be relationship issues, issues with their spouse, their kids. Maybe they want a spouse. Maybe they don't really like the spouse that they have. You know, they got all these issues. Then there's like financial pressures and there's stress about their jobs and there's career issues and they're discouraged about situations and they're upset about the government. And people have all these felt needs and they're legitimate. But we use these felt needs 
to actually start addressing foundational needs about their relationship with God. You, you don't want to just put band-aids on symptoms, felt needs. You want to start addressing foundational needs, which will then in return give them the ability to truly address the felt needs that they experience. Friends, life is far more than just kind of like alleviating problems. Life is about knowing God and experiencing the joy of relationship with him. And so how do you start a conversation about Christ? If God uses people, think of it. Almost everybody here was, is here by virtue of the fact that you related to another person. Someone cared enough about you and about the gospel to talk with you. How do you start a conversation about Christ? Well, let me just give you some, some easy ways to do that. Let me just also tell you this. The one who is looking for the opportunity is the one who is most likely going to find it. You want to be looking for the opportunity. Let me tell you, there's probably a good chance that a lot of us in this room, we're not really looking for the opportunity. Somewhere along the line, we just kind of, uh, it's too tough. I don't want relationship rejection. I'm afraid. They might ask me a question I don't know the answer to. I'm not going to have anything to do with sharing my faith. Satan has completely eliminated you from the game of involvement of bringing the gospel. So how do you start a relationship uh, and start a conversation? Well, let me just tell you, it's going to come in, in just some surprising ways. Whether it be family gatherings, during a break, hanging out with your kids, talking with your neighbor at the park, after class, if you're a student, on the airplane, on the bus, when you go uh, at work, you have a break, maybe you're on a business trip. There's all sorts of opportunities. In fact, this past week, you probably had multiple opportunities where you could actually engage someone with the truth about Jesus. And so what do you, what do, you do? How do you start a conversation? Let's say you actually believe enough and you're like, yeah, I think God wants me to be involved. How do you start a conversation? Well, let me just give you some real simple ways of doing that. First of all, I have found that people will ask you the same question that you ask them. So, I mean, just try this. Hey, hey, do you like the Cowboys? I'm like, uh, I'm trying to. You know, and then, and then they'll go, uh, do you like the Cowboys? I mean, it is just kind of how people are. You ask them a question, they're like, uh, okay. And then let me ask you the question, you know, and that's how it works. So you could just ask them this then. Hey, so... This, this question seems to open lots of doors. Hey, do you go to church around here? And, and they'll tell you things. They'll, they'll tell you all sorts of things. And then you can just simply follow up. You know, I used to think that Christianity was just a religion, but I've actually found it's a relationship. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you, and you use that as just kind of a bridge. Here's another one that you could do. It's just a simple question. Just ask, hey, what is your spiritual background? Just, just let, and then let them answer don't ask the question, and they're like, well, hey, well, then let me tell you about the God. You know, you can't do that. You have to actually care. You have, people want to enter into dialogue. You can't just go blasting in there. You need to listen. Even if it's like, what? You're involved in witchcraft? You're, you know, and they, they'll tell you some really bizarre stuff. You listen. Find out what they have to say. And then you can simply say, has anyone ever shared with you how you could really have a relationship with God? Or here are two popular questions that came up by D. James Kennedy. He's the guy that first penned these. They're called the Kennedy questions. And the first one is this. Uh, you say this. Hey, hey, can I ask you a couple good questions? I mean, you look like a sharp guy. If, I'm like, I have never had anyone turn me down after I told them they look intelligent or sharp. Like, oh, yeah, you know, because now they have a reputation to live up to, right? Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, what's the question? Okay. And the first one, it's like, you say, okay, well, the first question is this. You know, if you were to die tonight on a scale of 0 to 100, 
how certain of you are you that you'd go to heaven? Now, I hope you don't gonna die tonight, but you know what? Right now, 100% of the people die at some point in their life. So if you were to die, how certain are you to go to heaven? Zero to 100. Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. And they'll give you some number. And that, how they respond to that will be very revealing. And don't get thrown off when they say like 80%, okay? And I'm like, well, that's good. That's, that's interesting. So let me just give you the follow-up question to that. So if you were then to die and you were to stand before God and he should say, why I should let you into my heaven, what would you say? And you let them respond. Or let them even come up with a fact like, I, I don't know. Or let them tell you about how good they are, you know, which will be really interesting in further conversations. Because it's helping them process what they're putting their faith in. And most people have never had the privilege of actually doing that. They're running around with all sorts of assumptions. I've asked these questions to many, many people. I recall one woman, she was, the, she was a leader in the National Donor Program for the United States. She was in a class that I was teaching. She had some sort of crisis in her life. And I met with her and I asked her these two questions. This, is a, this woman was very sharp. She had more letters after her name than, than I didn't even know could recognize. And she goes, I do not know the answer to those questions. How would you respond to them? And so I used that to share the gospel. And the next day, after wrestling with that, she placed her faith in Christ. And even to this day, this woman still sends us a letter every year. Just by giving her the opportunity. After all, that's what we're supposed to do. We share the gospel. So here's another question you can ask. Hey, so what do you do with your free time? Or what do you do with your weekends? And just find out. That could relate to the fact like, well, you know, I've made church a priority in my life. Let me tell you why, okay? So all we are, friends, get this. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found bread, right? We're just one sinner telling another sinner where you find life and forgiveness. So let me just give you some effective ways of sharing the gospel. One would be just your personal testimony. You just share what God has done in your life. Okay, when you do this well, it can be done in two minutes. You can do it in 30 minutes. You will share with them life before you came to know Christ, how you came to know him, and how you started growing him. Those three elements are found in a real good testimony. And really, your testimony is not open for debate. You just share what happened in your life. In my times where I get an opportunity to share, this is the number one tool that I use, is just sharing personal testimony. Another thing you could do, you could share some selected Bible verses. John 3.16, John 14.6, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23. Uh, those are great ones. Ephesians 2.8 through 10. You ought to, as a Christian, probably have those down. Because those are key verses that you can explain the gospel with clarity if you simply can talk them through. That requires that you either have a Bible present on your phone or in your heart. Let's at least start with getting it in our heart, okay? Um, another one is you could just, uh, there's like with a booklet or a pamphlet that just briefly explains how a person can come to know God by trusting in Christ, okay? In fact, you found in your bulletin today that there is this little booklet. It's called, uh, you know, May I Ask You a Question, okay? And this is the kind of the bad news, good news approach. Now, if you saw that little booklet and you go, oh, how about that? The church is real clever. They've given me a little joke book on the good news, bad news jokes, you know? And I'm, so I'm ready to go for the office. You know those jokes like, you know, the doctor, he's taking his, talk to his patients and he goes, hey, you know what? I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. And the patient's like, whoa, 
because people get really nervous. So doctors, please don't joke around with your people and say things like that, okay? I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, well, the patient goes, tell me the good news first. Well, the, the doctor says, you know, the good news is, you know, the tests we've done, we've done on you, they reveal that you have 24 hours to live. What? Well, the patient goes, well, then what's the bad news? And then the doctor's like, oh. The bad news was I forgot to call you yesterday. Okay. All right. So if you're looking for that, it's not in there. All right. But the, what it is, is that you explain the bad news about sin. The fact and the reality that, that the bad news is that all of us have sinned and our life is separated from God. And the good news is that through Christ, through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, we can come to know him if we'll trust in him. Now, I'd make an improvement to that book. That book kind of asked, like, how can I go to heaven? Really, I would, if I was to rewrite it, I would say, how can a person really know God? But nonetheless, it is a great tool. And do not underestimate the power of that tool. That tool can be used in, in all sorts of settings. I, I, I was uh, totally convinced of the power of a little booklet when I was flying to Russia. I was going to go teach a class on hermeneutics. And I was flying on Aeroflot, which at different times isn't even allowed to fly into the United States. And I discovered personally why. I mean, I've never been on a plane where they had this big, huge honking steward guy, and he's smoking while he's going up and down the aisle, like, oh, I'm dying, you know, and I'm trying to eat my food, and it all tastes disgusting. And, and it's this, cra- this airplane, and it's all creaky. And I'm sitting with these Russians. I do not know hardly any Russian whatsoever. I got my Berlitz Traveler's Guide, okay? And I'm sitting these two, by these two Russians. And I happen to have the four spiritual laws in Russian. So I try to engage them in a conversation. And that lasts for about 30 seconds. And I've told them everything I know in Russian, okay? It's beautiful. And we've got a flight all the way to Russia, you know, from Anchorage, Alaska. So and then I just, I give them this booklet. And they, you know, they took their time. He read it first and then she read it. I don't know. I don't, I'm pretty certain they weren't married. I don't think they were brother and sister. I don't know what they were doing, but they were flying together. And they both read it. And then they, at the end, they actually indicated that they had once been not with, with Christ, not in their life. They said, now, now here. And I'm like, man, I am glad that I had that in my wallet. And friends, you've got it. And I challenge you, before this month ends, just give it to someone. For some of you, that'll be the greatest act of faith that you've ever done. For others of you, you're like, you won't even hardly be out of the parking lot and you'll snag someone on Spiegelville Road. And like, hey, here, let me have it. But let us get in the pattern of engaging people about Christ. Let me give you another powerful means of sharing your faith in Christ. And that is a written letter. And let me tell you, a handwritten letter. Don't just like, I think I'll zip off like 500 emails to everybody and just some sort of a little form letter. You handwrite it. I have found this to be very powerful. I've shared my personal testimony with cousins, my brother, one of my brothers, with clients when I was in the workforce. And it is so powerful. You can write what Christ really means to you and why. And I'll just tell you, there was a a gentleman. He was very concerned uh, with his sibling who was passing away. And he's like, Grant, I I have no certainty whatsoever that he knows Jesus. And that's what bothers me the most. What should I do? Because he's dying. I said, write him a letter. Don't. Don't type it. You write it by hand. And you tell him all about Jesus. How much you care about your brother and how much you know about Jesus and why, how you can know him as well. 
Let me give you another way. Just invite someone to church, especially on like Easter and Christmas. People like kind of almost expecting the invitation. And we share the gospel, so bring them. And then finally, there's another way, a line diagram. This is a simple little diagram that shows God's love and his justice and how Jesus Christ actually is a demonstration of his love and satisfies his justice. I am in two weeks. We got a Discover Life class. It's kind of our new members class. I'm going to go through it. Uh, just come at 9.15, even if you're a member. This, that, my personal testimony is my number one tool. My second is this line diagram. And there's people in this room that have come to Christ because of just this simple illustration of how they could know Christ. So you find some ways to share it with your words. Notice the text. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You not only share Christ with your words, but you exemplify the life of Christ. You show him, show these people in your way of life. And did you see here in verse 5? It didn't come in word only, but in power with the Holy Spirit. God moving in you, moving in them. And with full conviction, we believe to the point where we'll actually engage. We're going to do the hard things. We're going to go to the hard places. We'll deal with the difficult people with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You see, you share the gospel not only with your lips, but your life. Your life demonstrates that you believe. And it's not like you're some sort of super saint. It's, I'm a sinner and I'm trusting in Christ for, for life, forgiveness, for hope. And, and that's what you share. You model what it means to know Christ personally. But let me tell you, right now, many of the people that are out there that are non-believers, this isn't the kind of impression they have of Christians. In a book called Unchristian, David Kinnaman he goes in with all this Barna research, and they're looking at people that are born between 1965 and 2002. Okay, you ready for some startling statistics? This is what non-Christians think about Christians. Nine out of ten young outsiders, those who have yet to place their faith in Christ, or 87% said that the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christianity. When they think of Christianity, they think of people that are just very judgmental. Harsh, critical. And these are not uninformed opinions. 84% of these non-believers said they personally know at least one committed Christian. So this is their experience. The other thing that's really startling is that they said that they found that among their Christian friends, only 15% thought that the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. In essence, what they found is that if you're a Christian, you're probably judgmental, and you're really no different from the rest of the world. In most cases, that has to change. And it changes as the Spirit of God does his work in our heart. For we're yielded to him. We are, like the text says, men who prove themselves. We've got conviction. We are empowered by the Spirit. We are trusting in Christ and his gospel. So you don't want to undo with your life what you say with your lips. And how you live tells others what you truly believe. There was a guy by the name of Michael Green. He was, uh, he's an author. He wrote of his experience. He wanted to be a missionary in China. And so he's in his class, and while he's sitting there on their first day, the teacher that's supposed to teach him Chinese, this lady walks in, and she just walks up and down the aisles, and she walks back out. And they're all like, this is weird. Okay, what's going on? And then she walks back in. She goes, hey, 
did anybody notice anything special about me today? Which is a totally loaded question. I'm like, uh, okay. And they're all like, oh, I don't know. You didn't even say anything. And then finally some guy goes, well, let me just tell you this. You had some wonderful perfume on today. And they're all like laughing. You know, and this is the brown noser trying to get the A in the class, right? And then she goes, that is exactly right. She said, long before you learn Chinese well enough to share the gospel, you will share the gospel with your life. It will be like a fragrant aroma. That's what our lives are supposed to be like. We do not want to be abrasive, caustic, overwhelming. We want to be real, relational, redemptive. We want to care. We want to show respect. That's how we must engage. We can't come across as judgmental. We got to come across as loving and concerned and committed. Brian Wilkerson writes of this event where he goes to his kid's preschool, and the teacher uh, had promised the kids that she was going to bring a rabbit to school, and this was the day. Wow, what a good day to show up for uh, pre-K. And so she brings this rabbit in this cage. She sets it in the middle of the carpet, you know, and all the kids are all gathered around, and she opens up the door, and the kids, they just go ballistic, man. They want the rabbit to come out. And so they are, like, immediately calling to the rabbit. They have these carrots, and they're waving that in front of the door. You know, that's really going to One of the boys is poking the rabbit, you know, and they're like, yes, and the rabbit is, like, terrified. Ah! You know, they just can't handle this, you know. And finally, the teacher says, okay, children, why don't we back off here, you know? And she said, let's just sit around the class and let's be quiet and let's see if the rabbit will come out. And the, Brian is thinking like, yeah, if that rabbit has half a brain, he is not getting anywhere out of that cage, man. That is the safest place for the rabbit, right? But sure enough, after a few minutes, the rabbit came out. Friends, we can't be like taking our Bibles and our attitudes and beating people like with clubs We can't be poking them and trying to manipulate them. We can't be talking at people. We have to be engaging and talking with people. Our lives have to communicate we care, not we want you to jump through a certain hoops so we've got our little spiritual mark on our belt like, ha, 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 got another one saved. That sort of mentality has to go. What has to come in is 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. We share with our words, we can articulate our faith, and we love you. We live out our faith. There's a guy by the name of Earl Palmer. He's got a friend who is a very strongly committed Christian, but didn't grow up that way. And uh, he tells about his friend who was in, he was in uh, med school, or pre-med, he was in pre-med undergrad. He was at UC Berkeley. And he's, he came down with the flu, and it was pretty bad. In fact, he was sick for 10 days straight, couldn't hardly move. And there was a Christian in this guy's class uh, that they were both taking organic chemistry, which I hear is a horrifically hard class. I talked to the guy recently. He said that organic chemistry basically convinced him to be a lawyer, okay? All right? You doctors, you're smart. All right, I'm just going to give you that. So, he, so the, this guy is, this got flu. He can't show up, and he's going to flunk the class. But there was this Christian that took, brought all the notes, all the assignments, and sat down and taught him organic chemistry. All this guy is puking and sick and just can't really hardly move. But that was so powerful in this man's life that he said, yeah, I, I, I want to know, like, know about you. I want to know where you, you go to church. I want to go to your church. And he, he said this, I felt more alive when I was around this friend. That is the gospel being lived out. When people can see the life of Christ being manifested in us, they feel more alive because they see Jesus in our life and our simple way we interact with him. Our life is our platform. And friends, let me tell you, we cannot be looking at the unbelievers and just rejecting them. And writing them off as idiots or people that, oh, man, if they were just 
as smart as me. They wouldn't be acting or believing this or thinking this way. Uh, Carl F.H. Henry is an evangelical theologian. He was entering a conversation with a guy named Russell Moore. And Moore and his friends were lamenting at the sorry state of Christianity. But they were surprised that uh, this theologian actually had great hopes. And he said this, you know, there's real hope for the next generation. But the leaders of the next generation are probably pagans at this present time. Think of it like Paul was actually Saul of Tarsus, a Christ hater and a rejecter. C.S. Lewis, Chuck Colson. These guys all were great rejectors of the faith. And God brings salvation and he changes people from the inside out. I mean, think of it. Jonathan Edwards, the next Jonathan Edwards, he might be the guy with the uh, Darwin little deal on his car right in front of you. The next Charles Spurgeon, he might be uh, making a poster for a gay pride parade that's going to take place. The next Billy Graham might be drunk in some fraternity house right now. The next uh, Mother Teresa, she might be managing an abortion clinic right now. God transforms lives. Does he not? Else why are we here? He does it, and he does it through people who bring the gospel. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, said this. Success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the result to God. And that's what we want to do. Friends at Fellowship, we would like every believer reaching out to another person in need. Everyone reaching out to one. To pray for them, to demonstrate Christ's love to them, to share the gospel with them. And once, once you start doing this, would you write on your little connection card what you're doing if someone comes to know Christ? We'd like to know. We'd like to see what is the pulse when it comes to what we're supposed to be doing down here in terms of evangelism. That means we're going to have to overcome our fears, our pride. We've got to be willing to risk this whole idea of relationship rejection. Hey, I thought we cared. I thought we're committed. So how do we share the gospel? We do it with our words and our way of life. We've got to be ready. We've got to be real, relational, and redemptive, pointing people to Christ. Now, people are God's primary means of revealing the gospel of Christ. And I'd like to have a young man join us here. Carl, there he is. Carl, why don't you come up here? I think all of you guys know Carl Hall Jr. Uh, About four years ago, uh, Carl... Uh, we had the privilege of seeing you come Christ. We had you baptized at Lake Waco. He's involved in our youth ministry. I asked Carl if you'd just share for a couple minutes a little bit about what sharing your faith looks like. You want to hold that close to you? Yes. Right. Um, well, uh, like you said, um, I came to know Christ almost four years ago. And uh, after coming to know Christ, I really just had a desire to see people come to know him. I would just see people, you know, living in sin and Really, I would just be really grieved, you know, to see them, you know, not knowing Christ. So the Lord just put it in my heart to, you know, to come out of my shell and to talk to people and share the good news with people. Um, One of the things that I started doing is just handing people gospel tracts, you know, and uh, trying to invite them to different things that I was doing, you know, maybe if I was playing basketball or something, you know, inviting them to just hang out, you know, and spending time with people. And through just spending time with them, I would be able to share the gospel with them. And uh, 
Also, in other things I would do is I would give them Bibles and stuff, you know, and uh, just ask them if there's anything that, you know, they need prayer for and uh, basically just developing relationships for them. But um, I would say that when I really developed a passion for evangelism was when I went on my first uh, mission trip to England, which was back in uh, 2009. And uh, it was there where I really just met, you know, spiritual darkness. You know, you're talking about a nation that used to be a Christian nation at one point in time, but, you know, has really just walked away from God, you know, and you just, everybody you meet there is, you know, an atheist or an agnostic, you know, you meet little kids, you know, that are about eight and nine years old that are like, uh, I don't believe in God, you believe in God, you know, they just laugh, you know, and I just, I started to think, I was like, you know what, our nation is going towards that same direction, you know, and we don't even realize it. You know, there's so many people out there that don't know Christ, you know, and we just let them pass. We don't tell them. So I went back and I was like, I started buying gospel tracts and I started buying different books, you know, that I could just hand out to people that, you know, that were easy to read, you know, for unbelievers. And uh, I started uh, giving gospel tracts to my coworkers and, you know, uh, or even customers that would come into the store, you know. You know, I I would just look for different opportunities to share Christ, you know. Like uh, one thing that a friend told me about, you know, he sees people wearing like crosses, you know. And, uh, you know, he'll be like, uh, well, uh, I, I like that cross that you're wearing. Uh, you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, uh, well, do you know what that means? You know, and I actually tried that the other day. There was a kid that came in there and he was he asked for an application I gave him the application, and he had a cross on his neck. I said, uh, I like that cross you're wearing. He said, thanks. I said, you know what You know what that means? He said, uh, no. I said, well, what do you think it means? He said, well, to me it just means hard work, you know, that I just need to work hard. I said, but do you know what it really means? I said, and he said, no, I don't. I said, do you know who Jesus Christ is? He said, I've heard the name. But I said, well, you know, that opened up the door for me to share about Christ. I said, you know what sin is? He said, well, kind of. You know, and I said, well, you know, you know what the bad, the bad things are, you know, like stealing, lying and cheating and all those different things. And he said, yeah, I know what those things are. I said, have you done any of those things? He said, yeah, I have done those things. I said, well, you know, those things, uh, we're going to be judged for all those things that we did. You know, all those things are bad. And, you know, God is going to hold us accountable for all those things one day. You know, the Bible says it's appointed man wants to die and then face the judgment, you know, and when you stand before God. You know, because you have done those things, you will be guilty, you know. And then he said, oh, wow, you know, I didn't know that, you know. (laughs) And I was like, well, you know, but the good news is that Jesus Christ, you know, came down and he lived a life that we couldn't uh, live. You know, he lived a perfect life, never stole, never lied, never cheated, never even thought sinful things. He did everything that we couldn't do, you know, because he loved us. And he died on the cross and he rose again so that all who believe in him can have eternal life. And then I, you know, told him John 3:16, you know, and he, he listened to what I had to say, you know, and he finished filling out his application. You know, he asked me a few more questions, you know, and then he was like, well, before he left, he was like, thank you for telling me that. He was like, because I didn't know what this cross meant. He said, I always liked the way it looked, you know, but I didn't know what it meant, you know. He was like, thank you for telling me that. It means a lot more to me now, you know. And, uh, you know, but that's uh, just things that can happen just from simply sharing your faith, 
you know, with others. And, you know, just from doing evangelism and, you know, just sharing my faith, you know, God has just taught me some things, you know, just about not being frustrated, you know, uh, realizing that salvation is a work of God. It's not up to me, you know, to get people saved. It's just up to me to get people the message. You know, it's God that, you know, produces faith, you know, and it's God that's going to, you know, make sure that the results happen, you know. But he doesn't want me to sit back passively. You know, he wants me to be engaged with people, you know, even when it might feel uncomfortable. And then another thing that he's taught me is just to have unconditional love for people. You know, there's going to be people whenever you present your faith, you know, or talk about Jesus, they're not going to like what you have to say at all. They might actually just mentioning Jesus might make them very angry, you know, or just mentioning sin might just throw them into some sort of frenzy. You know, but we still have to love those people, you know, that are hard to love. They're difficult to love, you know, at times. But we have to realize we were once like that, too. We were once angry towards God. We didn't want to hear that we were sinners. We didn't want to hear about judgment. But the thing is, that's like Grant was saying, you know, somebody shared the gospel with us. Somebody cared about us enough, you know, to tell us that we were headed towards destruction, you know. And, uh, you know, another thing. And which is probably the biggest thing is just getting over fear, you know. Uh, it's never been really easy for me to just, you know, just start up conversations with people, you know. And especially, I never dreamed in a million years I'd be starting up conversations about Jesus with people, you know. But uh, I really do have a desire to see people saved, and I. I I think that should be desire of every Christian. You know, there, there's power in the gospel message, you know, and there's people that are lost and they are living hopeless lives, you know, because a life without Christ is a life without hope. It's a life without joy, you know, and that should just work something in every one of us, you know, to see people, you know, experience that joy, experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior, because there's no greater joy than knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And All right, let's pray. Lord, this has been an amazing time. You've got our full attention. You have called us to go and to take the good news of Jesus to the people in our lives and in this world. So, Lord, would you make that a reality? And for those who perhaps have come here today who have never trusted Christ, they simply pray with me and say, Lord, I, I turn from my sin. I get it. Christ is the Savior. And I place my faith and my trust in him. So, Father, would you continue the revolution you started with your son? We are continually bringing people into your kingdom. And we'd ask this, Lord, for your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.